Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. What a treat we have today on the Make Meaning Podcast. Born in Abu Dhabi of Indian heritage, Kekashan Basu won the 2016 International Children's Peace Prize for her work on children's rights, gender equality, social justice, and climate change. As founder of the Green Hope Foundation and a National Geographic Young Explorer, Kekashan has been spreading a message of peace, happiness, and sustainability since she was eight years old. And she became involved on a global scale at that young age through the United Nations Environment Program. Today, as a university student in Toronto, Kekoshan is known around the world as a leader for children and youth and a passionate supporter of environmental honesty. She says, children are the future of the planet, and we have the fundamental right to a life of dignity. Kekoshan, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Okay, so you were born on World Environment Day, June 5th in the year 2000. And I am wondering, was it that simple timing that inspired your passion? Or were there influences in your family early on that prompted you to become such a leader for change? Where did it all begin? Well, my birthday definitely did play a role in my becoming an eco-warrior. And I always, that made me always think that, you know, I was preordained to become an eco-warrior. But I grew up knowing that sustainable living was normal, that uh, taking care of our planet and our society was something that just came naturally to everyone because that was how I saw my parents and my grandparents living. And it, when I was seven, I saw the image of a dead bird with its belly full of plastic. And mm. that really disturbed me. It gave me sleepless nights. I could not stop thinking about the bird's uh, pain when it mm. died. And that made me realize that, you know, this wasn't normal for everyone else. And there was uh, something that I had to do to stop this from happening again. And it was also around that time that I attended a lecture by environmentalist Robert Swan and his words, the greatest threat to our planet is the belief that someone else will save it really resonated with me. And mm. that was when I realized that, okay, I am going to do something to stop this atrocity from happening again. And that led me to start my sustainability journey on my eighth birthday. Uh, and I thought it was really symbolic because Yes, it's World Environment Day. So yeah, that's how I started. That's really wonderful. You know, this podcast is all about how people find meaning and purpose in work and in life. And I'm, you know, halfway through my life. And so um, I work with a lot of people who uh, still feel like they don't know what their purpose is, or they're doing work that Mm -hmm. they do to earn a paycheck, but they don't necessarily love or feel that there's a, a difference that they're making in the world. And a lot of times what we do is we go back And we look at who they were when they were young before all of these trappings of the modern world and the obligations of having to pay your bills and and have a house and things like that um, sort of overtake your goals. 
and get back to that core of who you were at such a young age and let that drive you. And it sounds like you never had that muddy. It was, it was always very clear to you. Did you, you know, did you have supporters who, who encouraged you to listen to your inner voice and who, who pushed you in that direction and told you that it was possible rather than maybe quelling your, your passions or your desires? Well, yeah, absolutely. My parents were and are to this day my biggest support. And they're the ones who always told me to uh, follow my dreams and follow my passion and to do what I loved uh, doing. And if there was something that I didn't want to do, uh, they told me to not do that because I would not be giving my 100% to that. It would not be fair to me. It would not be fair to the other people or the thing that I was focusing on. So yeah, it was always uh, important for me to uh, follow my passion. That that is exactly uh, what I did. And my parents supported me uh, throughout and they continue to work with me to this day. That's wonderful. That's lucky. Great parents. I love that. So you do so much more than simply speak out. I mean, you do that, but you also take action and put your words and actions together. Um, So I know as a child, you planted trees and you brought young people together to collect and recycle waste. What has been the impact of both speaking out and standing up for what you believe? I think that it has been able to uh, create positive change globally. I think that, you know, there are so many more people now who are adopting sustainable living as a way of life, especially for children and young people who are taking uh, it upon themselves to go out and, uh, you know, try to solve the local challenges that uh, their communities face. And yes, we started with like, you know, just tree plantings. And that was for me. But when I started Green Hope as uh, well, it was we work on all aspects of sustainability. So and localizing the challenges and solutions and the sustainable development goals. So uh, in different parts of the world, there's a positive impact. Yes, but the impact looks different. So Uh, For example, whether that is, you know, trying to uh, distribute sanitation kits to uh, like address the taboos that surround uh, menstruation and uh, sanitary napkins in Bangladesh, or whether that is uh, trying to green a desert in a desert country. Uh, The impact looks different, but overall it is very, very positive and it's led by children and young people. And you bring up a really good point because I think um, so many people can be overwhelmed by the climate crisis and um, think about it's, you know, it's such a big problem. What can I personally do as one individual? So do you have any advice for our listeners about, you know, where they can start close to home? So if it does seem overwhelming, if it's not clear, you know, where do they begin? How do they get started on that path? Well, I always say it starts with the individual and trying to change your own lifestyle first and then talking to your family, your community. That is the way to go. Now, the climate crisis and all of the other problems our world is facing, it affects different uh, people, different regions in different ways. So the specific uh, solutions have to be uh, you know, localized and the person, uh, that person needs to come up with the solution themselves and work with others in their community to come up with that. But the initiative, that is something that everyone can take and it has to start with you. You At Green Hope, we firmly believe in uh, walking the talk and practicing what you preach. So for us, it's like we do it ourselves and then we are able to tell others that, oh, you should do this. 
So you've mentioned Green Hope. Let's talk about the Green Hope Foundation. I'd love to hear about its origins and founding and um, the impact that the work has had on the world. Tell me a little bit about it. Sure. So uh, after I planted my first tree, I used to go around uh, to my neighborhood shops, beauty salons, uh, restaurants, talking to them about uh, moving towards more sustainable practices. And I worked tirelessly on the ground for about three years. And then when I was 11, the UN somehow got hold of what I was doing. And then I spoke at my first uh, United Nations conference. And then the following year in 2012, I attended Rio Plus 20, and at the time, it was the largest environmental summit with 50,000 delegates. And at 12, I was the youngest to address a press conference and also one of the youngest overall in that conference. Mm -hmm. And that made me realize that children uh, and youth, and especially children, there was a severe lack of inclusivity of them in the sustainable development process. So to rectify this uh, on my return home, I founded Green Hope Foundation to provide children and young people with a platform to learn about sustainability challenges and then how to take actions to mitigate these problems. And like, like I mentioned earlier, we work on all aspects of sustainability because we work so globally, we have chapters in 16 countries with an outreach to 25 countries and over 100,000 young people. Hmm. And uh, it we have been able to create this change because we firmly believe that in every person, and especially in every child, lies a change maker and hmm. everyone can bring about that positive change. Beautiful, beautiful. So how do you choose your initiatives and how can people get involved? So people can get involved by reaching out to us on social media or on our through our website, greenhopefoundation.com. And uh, once again, once they reach out to us, then we'll be able to work with them to see what uh, solutions and what actions are most relevant to their uh, communities. Because like if you are working on mangrove conservation, for example, we planted over 5,000 mangroves globally in, mm. uh, in Bali, in the UAE, in the Sundarbans, the world's largest mangrove forest, both in the India and Bangladesh side, in Suriname. But if you live in, say, Hawaii, for example, where mangroves are an invasive species, you're mm -hmm. not going to be able to take that action over there because it's <laughs> you know, it uh, does the exact opposite of what you want to achieve. Sure. So uh, yeah, that then we work with them. And this is, we do this for all our chapters. We work with the chapter heads, the people working on the ground and come up with localized solutions that really help to create that positive impact and be able to engage as many people as possible and move towards uh, sustainability. That's wonderful. So tell me a little bit about like, do you have a favorite activity that you've done or a favorite initiative that you know, spoke to your heart the most. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I have so many. I think I love all of them. I guess at the ground level, like in the field, uh, tree planting or mangrove planting is probably my favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, it really helps me to connect with nature, and especially during this pandemic when for so long I couldn't do that. And finally, I was able to do that once lockdown restrictions had eased slightly. I was very happy to be able to do that uh, mm -hmm. once again. Uh, and in general, I think being able to work with the children, I think that's my favorite because of their uninhibited mindsets that allows them to look at uh, our world's problems in such a, a simple way and, and also come up with such simple solutions and really makes you wonder that 
I think if we did that, definitely we could bring about change and specifically children in the marginalized communities whom we uh, work with, whether it's the Syrian refugee children or the Rohingya refugee children or children of prisoners in Kenya or Nepal or children in orphanages in uh, Indonesia, Bangladesh, uh, Kenya, or even HIV positive children in Nepal. These are children who've gone through so much and faced so many hardships every single day and they still have that drive and the urge to bring about positive change and wish for a better future, not just for themselves, but for their fellow children globally. And we saw this exact thing happen when we were uh, doing our academies with the Rohingya refugee children. And, you know, that gives me hope for the future and really motivates me to keep going. So, yeah, mm -hmm. a lot of favorite things. But yes, these are probably the things that I cherish the most. Yeah. So, okay. You started at seven or eight and then, you know, working with the UN at 12. I mean, these are lifelong goals for adults and you, you check them off your list at very young ages. And so now I know you're in university. Um, yeah. I'd like to hear what you're studying and what your vision is for your future, because you've achieved so much already at such a young age. What lies ahead for you and, and this work? So I'm at the University of Toronto in my third year, and I'm studying environmental studies, minoring in women and gender studies and physical and environmental geography. And as you can understand, it's very related to my work yes. and my passion. So for me, the future uh, for me and Green Hope, I would say, because that is like my baby. So yes. uh, it's all intertwined. Um, uh, we want Green Hope to be there in every single country of the world and have every single person involved, not just tokenistically, but uh, as truly adopting sustainable living as a way of life. So that is our ultimate goal. Um, and that is where I see uh, things going. And I want, you know, more specifically, I would want education for sustainable development to be in all school curriculums. That is something Green Hope does work on. Uh, and just, you know, thinking about the planet and the society and the, uh, helping others and empathy should become the norm. It shouldn't be something that, you know, you're told to do or something that is separate from your normal education. It should just be something that, you know, it's uh, just people understand that this is what it should be like. So, yeah, that is my ultimate goal. And for me personally, my dream is to become the first female UN Secretary General. So okay. let's see okay. where that goes. That's a wonderful goal. I can't wait to see it happen. I, I'm sure it will. There's no question in my mind. Um, you know, it's interesting because you bring up something about how the youth that you work with um, not only care for improving their own experiences and environments, but for others as well. And that sense of community and connection, um, it is really big with children. The empathy is natural. Um, they, they're just very caring. I think we learn to hate or we learn to turn away from others. It's not something that we're born with. Um, and, you know, we just experienced in the United States a very tumultuous election season. Um, and I, I was listening to a radio show um, that was a very intelligent people who had different political leanings. Um, one was African-American, one was Caucasian. And the, the woman who was Caucasian was asked why she believed that some of the, the conservative stances were okay when they came with, you know, racist tendencies and, and bigotry and things like that. And her answer, um, honestly, was that they just didn't affect her. 
And, and it was chilling because this was in a respectful setting. They, they were both intellectuals. They um, had a lot of reverence for one another, but their experiences were so different. And, and she blatantly said, it just doesn't impact me. And so I wonder how we, we turn the tide on that. And that's a big question. And I know that you can't possibly have the answers for it all. And, and it's just a, it's a moment in the world, but it's a moment we've seen so many times. And I do think that children and youth see possibility and um, acceptance in ways that unfortunately adults may not. So, you know, what are your thoughts about that? How do we harness this um, passion and innocence and belief in possibility that so many young people have and retain it as they grow and expand their reach? Yeah, that is so true. And I think that, you know, that uh, lady is not alone in thinking that because so many of the times, this especially in uh, the Western world where we have this kind of uh, mindset, and it is really sad. And you are right, children all around the world, they don't have this kind of cynicism and hate and bigotry. It's something they do learn. I think that, you know, mindset change is important and uh, also systemic change. It has to work hand in hand. It's like you can't have uh, one kind type of change without achieving the other. Sure. Uh, I think that is really uh, important. And uh, also just, you know, I mean, it's easier said than done, but doing away with uh, these social determinants and these prejudices, because these affect us everywhere. And it's really, really sad. And maybe just also, you know, recognizing that the importance of children's voices. And as I said earlier, they present everything in such a simple way. And I think maybe recognizing that as well. And also, I think our education systems also play a very big role in this. Uh, That's why education for sustainable development is so important, because it brings out that empathy and helps you to recognize someone else's problem as your own. And that is, and that is something, you know, Green Hope uses as a transformative tool, uh, so that you're able to achieve a sustainable lifestyle. And sustainability here is important, because the one of the three pillars of sustainability is society. So, Mm -hmm. you know, all of this, uh, this hate that is going around in our world, unless we do away with that, we cannot achieve sustainable development. So mm-hmm. yeah, our education systems do play a very important role. And David Orr, uh, an environmentalist, uh, wrote this amazing uh, paper about education where he says that our education systems are geared towards uh, measuring success in terms of uh, money, terms of fame, but not in terms of how much you help someone or uh, any things that are you know, currently viewed as oh not important. So that it's really important that we understand that and we change. Yes, our education systems, our political systems, and of course our mindsets. And it is a like there's a lot to be done. But I truly believe that if everyone is able to uh, like bring about the change within themselves, then we can definitely uh, do away with all of the hate that goes around in our planet right now. I can't wait for that day. It's it's a good day ahead and and I believe we'll get there sometime, but I think it's in the hands of the youth because um, I love seeing this younger generation right now with full of passion and um, they won't stand for 
bigotry. They won't stand for limits or labels. And I, I think it's time. It's time that we got there. So, you know, we've talked about a lot of issues, um, specific issues and also global issues. What do you think are the most pressing issues of our time right now? Well, that is a very complicated question. And once again, <laughs> I shall go back to my uh, adage of saying that, you know, there are different challenges in different parts of the world and sure. they affect each country and region differently. So I, and that is why with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, when we work on implementing those, I always say that they're all equally important because all of our world's issues are interconnected. And again, you can't solve one without solving the other. So if you're talking about uh, human rights, for example, it's like it affects every single uh, person. And if you uh, relate that to the climate crisis, uh, climate crisis in spe- uh, specifically vulnerable regions creates a lack of peace, often uh, causes uh, you know people to become climate refugees. That is a violation of human rights. Uh, mm-hmm. It also ensures that you know there is a lack of economic stability. There is uh, an increase in famine, in drought or floods, and really wrecks havoc overall. So. Yes. As you can see, all of these goals are uh, like all of these issues are interconnected and also it creates a sense of inequality. And and it's really, really horrible, uh, all of these, but they are all interconnected. So, yeah. So So my answer is that they're all equally important. And to just separate them out and say that I'm only working on this and only this is important would be a grave mistake because then you're ignoring all of the other intersections that uh, are present there. And uh, only once you recognize that, will you truly be able to achieve sustainability? And so maybe the first step is really understanding the interconnectedness of everything and everyone. Once you see that, then every little step that you take to chip away at the issues will help all of them. And so um, I guess that harmony is is really important and it's a starting place um, just you know, right here in our own neighborhoods. And then take it on from there. So, you know, on this show, we talk about how people find meaning and purpose and live and work with that in mind. And I always ask my guests what permission slip they would write to our listeners. So giving yourself permission to go in pursuit of your purpose and then put it to work for you. So I wonder if you have any advice that you would like to leave our listeners with a permission slip you would write um, to give to themselves Um, so that they could live with meaning and work with purpose? I think it's really important to ask yourselves, what have I done to help my planet and help my community? And uh, your conscience will give you the answer and that will prompt you to go out there, create positive uh, change, because really it has to come from within. And, uh, you know, if you have honesty, if you have hard work, if you have positivity, and of course, if you have your passion and empathy, that will really help you and aid you in realizing a more just, a more peaceful and sustainable world. Lovely. So we will add in the show notes, all the links to find you and the Green Hope Foundation. Um, I implore our listeners to connect and to help in any way that they can. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Make Meaning podcast. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. 
And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.